Hi, this is Ikim. Hi, this is Katrina. Welcome to High Impact Coffee Hour, where you can listen to two psychology nerds chat with academics about philosophy, feminism, and science. Kind of, it's kind of exciting because Hyun doesn't come from a psychology background, um, and she actually double majors in philosophy and data science, which is super awesome. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an exciting podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be here too. And Hyun, how are you doing during this year of COVID? Ah, uh, it's been very hectic because the COVID situation in U.S. is not getting any better. So I just took a leave of absence. So I'm at home in South Korea, where I'm from, um, and I'm just taking my time trying to do some more research in like sex industry, colonialism, and data ethics, which is also one of the topics that I'm really interested in and space colonization. Thank you for that introduction, and we are really excited to have you here today. So the main focus of today's podcast will be to discuss Hyun's paper on the state and sex work in early modern Asia. So the first question is, could you tell us a little bit about what this project is about and why you chose this topic? This project is really about exploring the history of sex work in Southeast Asia. And um, I was looking more into government regulation. And through that, I wanted to explore how um, sex industry was affected by government regulations. And through that, how the government related themselves to the sex industry. Um, I eventually um, try to make a point that um, the government was trying to um, actualize their state ideals and ideological um, social order through sex work and regulations on the industry. And I do that by focusing on two different societies. One is Thailand and the other is Vietnam. And I look specifically in the um, 20th century and the development of sex work and government regulations during that time. Um, Is there a reason that you chose the 20th century as a focus? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 20th century is a very dynamic time period for the entire um, globe, but especially for Southeast Asia because it is the period of modernization, but also a great confusion because there were two consecutive wars, World War I and World War II, which are followed by ideological Cold War, and that happened in Vietnam. So it was a very crazy, a lot of things going on time period for Southeast Asia. And why do you think the discourse on sex work in Southeast Asia has mostly focused on the influences of colonialism and the Vietnam War? Um, I believe the huge focus on the influences of colonialism, the Vietnam War, in discussing the sex industry stems from the history of sex industry in the region. Colonialism was the origin and the Vietnam War was more of an impetus. So it is pretty common to find a big sex work business in international port cities like Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. And um, Vietnam War or any kinds of military actions are um, in one way or the other related to the rise of sex industry in a certain region. Mm. What do you think are some of the similarities and differences you've observed in the sex work industry between Vietnam versus Thailand? Um, I'd say the biggest similarity is how much they grew over time and how big it is now. 
like sex industry and sex work play significant roles in the modern economy of Vietnam and Thailand. Like sex tourism in Asia is a huge thing still. I guess the differences are the regulations on the sex industry because the regulations fluctuated in Vietnam over time, especially during 20th century, but it never fluctuated in um, Thailand. The government rarely re resists against the idea of sex work in Thailand. And I wanted to bring up, so you mentioned that according to the sources, it was common for men to have their first sexual encounter with a, with a sex worker. Um, could you speculate on why that is? Um, I can only speculate, but I think um, according to the sources, they kind of saw sex workers as like teachers. Hmm. Sex. So they're experienced, they can lead men, they can teach stuff. So if you want, if you are going to have the first experience, you want to have it with the sex worker, not any other woman with no experience. Oh, okay. So they wanted to be the ones that were more experienced in that case. Yeah. Maybe they wanted to learn and use it on some other woman. I don't know. Right. Do, do you think that's more of a stigmatization of sex workers? Because um, it kind of sounds like in one way they're trying to like, it, it's sort of weird to me that they would perceive sex workers to be these kind of like experienced teachers in a way. Um, yeah, that's very strange to me. It's like stigmatization, but it's like a novel way to stigmatize sex workers. Yeah, it. I, I think you put it in a right way. It's a very yeah. weird but novel way to stigmatize women, especially sex workers. But yeah, it's um, like you 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 have a double take sort of. It's like oh, uh, that's uh, yeah. that's so bad. But it's I, I guess it's a new way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just count the frequency of sex or sexual intercourse as an um, experience mm -hmm. and the ability to teach things to men. And I guess like um, you can still say that it's still deeply stigmatized because I guess they would perceive sex workers to be sort of like people that you can have sex with as a first experience, but never people that you would actually date, right? No. This is sort of a tangent, but I was watching um, a few video essays on movies about this uh, concept or this trope uh, about how a lot of the times there are women in movies that are kind of like born again sort of new worldly kind of people and mm -hmm. they're usually very attractive very like obviously mature women but they have the mind of like a child and so a lot of the times this is like used as an advantage by men so that they can be the more sexually experienced person uh, and mm -hmm. show them like how everything works and that kind of just reminded me about how a lot of the times maybe men will want to be with someone who is more or less um, experience in sexual relations and stuff to have the mm -hmm. higher power dynamic I don't know it was interesting yeah yeah I agree I think it's almost I think it's this like grooming dynamic I feel like in the west that's more of a discourse of grooming mm -hmm. even though I think it definitely still happens in southeast Asia for sure the dynamic of you know like given this power differential of a man in a position of power to basically groom a younger woman into becoming the kind of like mate that he requires for his life to exactly. accommodate to him yeah yep yep yeah. that's really I, I don't know but I don't know if it's super common in the west to have the perception of like um like oh it could be cool or fun like 
not my perspective, obviously, but for some people to think that's um, good to have your first sexual encounter with a sex worker. I don't know if that's as common. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, but I've seen like in popular media, even in South Korea in movies, I think I've seen some scenes um, where men have their first intercourse with sex workers. But I don't know if that happens in the West. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Catcher in the Rye book about like holding. I don't know if you guys read that book, but yeah. <laughs> I think in that book, I think he tries to have a first sexual encounter with a uh, prostitute. Hmm. I can't. I can't really remember, but there are some books or movies that f- tend to focus on like young men maybe trying to um, have their first sexual experience with a sex worker. Is that usually portraying a positive light, you think? That's a good question. I probably like what's the transformation? What's the transformation for men? Because I feel like for women, the like losing your virginity is portrayed as this transformation of like walking into adulthood. You're just like more experienced now, you know more, you're suddenly wiser for some reason, which is like totally like, I don't know, to me that's bonkers. But I don't yeah. know how males are being portrayed as going through this transformation or if there's even a focus on men losing their virginity in the catcher in the rye in in that specific book it was about a coming of age story about this um young student who's very confused about like who he is and where he's supposed to be so he through that confusion he's kind of walking into adulthood so in that book, maybe encounter with um, sex workers is count maybe may counted as um, kind of growing and mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, being an adult that kind of stuff. But for other schools, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, um, maybe we should first focus on sex work in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk more about how? colonialism led to an increase in ethnic diversity among sex workers in Vietnam? Um, well, the, the most obvious connection between colonialism and um, the rise of sex, like ethnic diversity is because it's mostly white men. White men are customers or clients and, um, and they are uh, the aboriginals or the local women are the sex workers but the customers might have varying taste you know they might want to have um intercourse right. with an asian woman but they might not want to have intercourse with asian women like going and, to a bakery you just want a, a variety of options you want a croissant yeah. you want a cake they want to have different experiences and even in like asian women there are East Asian woman, Southeast Asian woman. So based on the client's taste and their needs and wants, the ethnic profile of the sex workers might change because it's a business. You have to earn right. and you have to listen to customer and their needs. Mm. Yeah. So, so it's very much about the objectific, uh, objectification of women and then having like, well, we want sort of the customer base being like, we demand different types and therefore... The mm-hmm. ethnic makeup must change according to our taste. Mm-hmm. Yikes. 
big eggs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we don't know if the migration of sex workers uh, to Southeast Asia was voluntary or not. So how would you speculate? I think I know the answer to this, but um, also what were these women like in terms of socioeconomic backgrounds? Um, I guess there were um, historical documents that show that some Japanese women might immigrated from Japan to Thailand to for sex work. And I'm presuming that they were also sex workers in Japan and they just wanted mm-hmm. to um, get more involved in the business for economic reasons. Um, right. they, they wanted some financial independence and the way to do it is through sex work. Like from, from the sources that I've read, it didn't seem like they are all forced. Hmm. But it could be the case that um, the sex workers who migrated to the region are forced because in, in case of Japan, there were forced sexual labor of mm-hmm. Koreans and they could have brought like Korean sex workers who were enforced by Japan. They right. were involuntarily migrated to Thailand and do sex work there. But these kind of like complex historical fact I'm not so sure about but mm-hmm. um, from the papers that I've read they didn't really talk much about if the sexual labor in Thailand were forced or not yeah I think it also depends on how we perceive um, what is voluntary or like yeah. I, I don't feel like agency is a binary variable it's not like you either have free will or not I think it's always to what extent you have that agency and to what extent can you actually exercise it mm-hmm. so I think it also probably depends on like how many options these women really had mm-hmm. um, with sex work and option that just com- seemed better compared to maybe like only two other options or yeah. do they have a lot more options? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think it's really interesting because I think it, it's almost just like for them as a career move, right? If they mm-hmm. were um, sex workers in Japan, they voluntarily moved to Vietnam because it's a better market, they might get paid more Then it's really just like any other career in that regard Mm -hmm. Um, you make decisions based on how to you know best maximize your value um, Mm -hmm. which I think is quite parallel to most modern jobs Mm -hmm. as well yeah which I think is also something that we're seeing more in modern society is the changing perception towards sex work um yeah for sure which I welcome that change I personally think it's a good change to Mm -hmm. um understand that sex workers do have agency that they do have free will that Mm -hmm. it is incredibly just totally okay for someone to make that choice for themselves mm-hmm. um if they do and to not be judgmental about people's career choices 100 um, yeah exactly mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm i'm guessing you know the agency of woman and sex work and the relationship between those two are still pretty a lot you know debated a lot and i'm pretty sure it the it, it was debatable even at the time if the women were actually, you know, they had a free will to move and make a career move in the industry. That question, I think, is not answered a lot of times because even in, you know, the Japan, Korea, colonization um, kind of historical um, debate, the agency of women is still, you know, being questioned especially by Japanese um, historians and, you know, right-wing 
people. They still yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be a mixed bag, and I think today it's especially more mixed bag because I think for some sex workers it's more involuntary than voluntary, and then for some it's more voluntary than not. Yeah,、uh, it's highly dependent on individual circumstances, and it's very hard, and perhaps not even possible to generalize、mm-hmm. um, sex workers、um, and their circumstances overall.、Mm-hmm. Which is why I think it's 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 not very rational to judge. The sex work industry as a whole, because、mm-hmm. um, it's highly variable from case to case. Yeah, I agree.、Um, and you also mentioned that there were many Chinese male economic migrants at the time,、mm-hmm. um, and I'm quite interested in sort of this、uh, the role of、um, Chinese people in Southeast Asia. Do you think their presence in the region、um, was mostly exploitative? Um, for example, were they considered to be of higher social status? They receive better income, etc.、Mm-hmm. I think the Chinese men who immigrated from China to Thailand were mostly laborers, so not really high on the social ladder,、um, mm-hmm. because most of them went to Thailand for economic reasons, especially to work in coal mines. I guess that was like the booming industry in Thailand in early 20th century, and、mm, right. because the huge influx of、um, Chinese men to Thailand happened, the Chinese men, you know, demanded had had a demand for Chinese、um, sex workers. So to meet that demand, there was supply of Chinese sex workers, and that also led to. Um, a lot more ethnic diversity in sex work industry in Thailand, and I'm assuming that that is very much related to the huge Chinese Thai population in modern Thai today too.、Hmm, that makes sense.、Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about the business model of sex work, specifically like how the market supply and demand for ethnic sex workers worked back then? It was more of like demand coming first, and then the women were recruited, or there was、um, supply after there was a demand. Because anytime there were a big、um, booming industry like a coal mine industry, there will be an influx of male laborers in the region, and whenever that happens, there will be an increase in demand for sex workers for. You know, sexual release, and they wanted to have their own local ethnic sex workers, right. and that led to、um, a woman being recruited from in China, and then they moved to China,、um, Thailand, to meet that demand. Right. Would you say、mm-hmm. that that's still the case today? Um. So there is a very interesting book、um, called Dealing in Desire. And it's written by a sociologist、um, from the states who actually got involved in the sex work industry. It, we we don't really know if she worked as a sex worker or not, but she was an observer for sure of the sex industry in Vietnam. And in her book, she mentions that there is a very clear stratification of male customers. So some male customers want East Asian,、um, East Asian-looking 
um, Vietnamese sex workers. So to meet that demand, um, Vietnamese sex workers who deal a lot with those customers try to put a lot of makeup on to look like East Asian, and they want to wow. look like dress like um, East Asian. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, and so for each stratified class, there is a demand, a very specific demand for specific mm. looks of sex workers and um, sex sex workers in Vietnam, according to the book, um, try really hard to meet that demand because it's their career. So they want to look like something um, and dress like something and, uh, you know, be sexually appealing to the customers, basically. I recommend that book a lot if you want to explore more about um, the sex work in Vietnam because it covers... Um, some history, but a lot more on the modern sex work business and community. And the author highlights a lot about the stories of sex workers, how they became sex workers. So we don't really, like we, the book focuses more on the stories of the workers there, how sex work um, should count as a proper labor, how they have right and they have their own career. Mm, absolutely. Wow. Uh, that brings me to my next question. Um, could you tell us about how the French regulated sex work in Vietnam? Because I think it's so interesting, the French colonialism, um, how that influences, um, you know, the, the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, the French wanted to regulate um, Vietnamese social sex workers because of venereal disease, because there weren't um, proper protections, there weren't a lot of health regulations at the time. So like the increasing use of French men of the sex work industry led to an increase of venereal disease among French population. So they wanted to prevent that by regulating Vietnamese sex workers. Because if they use more protection or they take care um, of their health more, the French men would have less diseases and they'll be healthy. So basically, they wanted to protect their own population, the French men. And um, the means of doing so is by regulating the sex work business at the time. And the, I think the common method was to make the... Um, brothels register mm-hmm. to the um, French government so that they'll know and they can check if the sex workers are regularly checked or not, if they're using the right protection and you know, stuff like that. Like, I want to say that this is um, like, obviously for sex workers to be protected as well. And obviously I guess the French like did not come from that motivation of wanting to protect the workers themselves, mm-hmm. but it's kind of interesting because that reminds me so much of just almost like industrial farming. It's this like literal objectification of women and treating them like, like almost livestock or again, just like bakery items that you can choose from. You know, you want to, you want to keep them looking a certain way. Um, and you want to sort of like sanitize them almost mm-hmm. and then serving them up to the customer base in their best possible condition. But the criteria with which you judge whether they're up to standard is completely from the colonizer's point of view or from the male point of view. 
that's so interesting because that was not that long ago. Yeah. Um, it's mind blowing because it, it was what a couple of decades ago, which yeah. is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what makes this whole colonialism and sex work dynamic so interesting because it's a combination of um, capitalism and public health regulations and the the colonized communities themselves had some sort of an ideal that they wanted to achieve and sex work played a very interesting role in that like this example shows Um, yeah just you know this entire history of sex work is so it implies a lot and it resonates till today because the colonized history um, still affects you know the entire region absolutely Mm -hmm. how did uh, sex work change under the communist party at the end of the vietnam war so at the end of vietnam war the communist party was winning it which means right. the, the country was um, governed based on a communist agenda. The communist agenda is that everyone is equal, including women, men and women are also equal. So, and they had this list of social evil and prostitution is one of them. So their, one of their agendas was to abolish it, like banning prostitution. And internally, that was their kind of, uh, um, you know, their internal job. They had to remove prostitution by banning it. But externally, they claimed that there was no prostitution during the time when the Communist Party had a complete rule over the entire Vietnam. Um, The country claimed that there was no prostitution because, you know, it's a communist nation. So... There was none, wow. which I highly doubted, but um, that's the kind of ideal that they wanted to show, that there was no social evil, and that's the right. idealistic version of the country that they envisioned for a long time based on communist you know, rules. It's very strange to perceive sex work to be a social evil. And yeah, it seems almost kind of cross-cultural to an extent. And I'm that that's so absolutely weird. I mean, it, it's like a part of our biology. Like throughout evolution, we've always had sexual relations. That's something that that's how we reproduce. That's something that we've always done. Um, it's strange. It's almost like what about pooping? Do we think of pooping as a social evil too? Because we we also do that. Everyone does it. Um, not that everyone has sex because obviously sexuality is real but i'm just saying that it's something that like a significant amount of the population has done throughout history throughout evolution right yeah straight i i guess they weren't like blatantly banning sex itself they just wanted to deny that there was an industry where women are meeting male customers and they Mm. the the male customers are paying for sex they just didn't want to have that in their communist regime. Why do you think that's so like almost to be considered morally abhorrent in a way by, by the government? Mm, that's an interesting question. Maybe it has to do something with the power dynamic. They know that um, having sex work and 
having women work for men because they pay them is kind of mm-hmm. um, is against their um, ideal social order because you know men and women are equal. Hmm. Maybe it's also because it goes against the marriage model or or this yeah. way of social organization where you want you you where you want strictly a man and a woman producing children to support the social structure. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it just deviates from that norm so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, it's it's quite strange because I doubt a government official sits in his office and thinks to himself, "Well, you know what? I would like to see a man and woman get married." And uh, and, and the more like the bigger the sex work industry is. Um, the fewer marriages there are, I don't really know, but it's quite strange. I'm I'm very curious as to what their rationale is, um, like what is so unpalatable, you know, about sex work. I think um, in one of the sources that I've read, um, the author wrote um, something about the connection between sex work industry and other crimes. So, oh, when there are a lot of like prostitution or booming sex work in a certain region that is related to more violence or more organized crime more drugs so they Hmm. they, maybe they just see everything as like one social evil so they wanted everything gone and that Hmm. effort they wanted to um wanted not to have um sex work industry too Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, th- I think they're seeing maybe a little bit of correlation mm-hmm. and then mistaking that to be um, a stronger correlation or even causation. Mm-hmm. And that's very interesting because I, I think the boundaries um, of what is sex work versus what is not to me has always been quite murky. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what is even sex work? How do you even actually concretely define that? Is that in exchange of money? What about materials? What about status? What about um, the favors? It could be anything, right? As long as you, you're exchanging something, but then you can, if, if you define sex work as where something has been exchanged, you can, then what about love? What about consensual, any consensual voluntary relationship where there's an exchange of, of feelings or, or goods or favors? What about, you know, it's at the end of the day, I feel like voluntary sex work involves a lot of cooperative exchange Mm -hmm. and no matter what the content of that exchange is um i just feel like it's it's strange to judge that based on the content of exchange Mm -hmm. because to me that's not there's no real logic behind it and maybe somebody else can tell me what their logic is if they disagree but yeah i think it would be interesting to see like what people's boundaries are when it comes to sex work like at what point what type of exchange becomes kind of morally abhorrent to them. I think they may view it also as like a source of temptation for a lot of men, which is obviously displayed or misplaced um, blame on the part of the sex workers when you should also be considering the men's agency and why they're choosing to pursue these kinds of Mm -hmm. outlets. Um, So yeah, I think it also is rooted in a lot of maybe sexism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right, kind of like that Adam and Eve dynamic like women are the downfall of men yeah (laughs) i'm also sort of wondering like how do you think sex work facilitated class divisions among women in vietnam which i think is quite interesting after 
the end of Vietnam War, there were this group of sex workers who used to work um, before the Communist Party ruled over the country. And there are also another group of women who had more economic resources. They were already in a higher class and they were sort of um, under different control from the government. So for the sex workers, they have to go through regular health checkups because they had that kind of like a previous career. Um, but the higher status women, they were encouraged to um, you know, have their own households. They were encouraged to be a worker in a factory, earn money. Um, so that kind of uh, the different approach from the society and they, how, how they saw it kind of affected the stratified class among women after the Vietnam War. That's strange. Again, I don't personally see the logic behind that because as a sex worker, I guess you're still going to work. You would still be like going to work, if not every day, but like periodically. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I think there's still a certain amount of professionalism involved. And it's strange to draw that line at where like going to a factory versus going to work elsewhere. But maybe in a way, that's how we've always organized society in a way, like going to an office building versus going to maybe a farm or um, a university, whatever it is, sort of divides um, society into different social classes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, maybe that's just the way we've always organized society. Yeah, absolutely. The, the kind of work that we do and the value of the work itself are just... It's, a, it's an interesting area to explore because it's not very clear what that is. Hmm. Yeah, very subjective, strangely organized in the minds of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to shift gears a little bit to discuss sex work now in Thailand. Um, so you mentioned that the Thai elites perceived sex work as danger to the country because it was linked to violence. Um, how would you say sex work was linked to violence? Um, from the sources that I read, sex work is um, linked to violence because the brothels were run by organized crime units mm. in the words of the modern way to put it um and sex workers were exposed to violence from male customers and a lot of the time sex work is in just the entire industry is related to drugs and alcohol which make people vulnerable and violent at the same time so violence occurs pretty often um, in the sex workers workplace so that kind of where where you know the red light district so-called um right. is pretty prevalent with violence and that's how people saw it and the government saw it um why do you think the thai elite was so hostile towards sex work i think there are a lot of reasons why the thai saw um sex work as a very negative um like societal ideal but um one of them could be because the thai had wanted to have some sort of like a royal um 
ideal. They wanted to be shown in a certain way because they had kings, mm. they had right. monarchy. So the the Thai society had certain rules and social orders, but that could be interrupted with um, a lot of different crimes, including sex work. So maybe that's one of the reasons why the ruling class of Thai um, royal family wanted to not get involved with sex work that much. That's so interesting because I, if I'm remembering this correctly, and maybe uh, I, I could be wrong, but I think there were a lot of Tan poetry and also artworks that sort of portray the element of sex work as something that was like a sign of prosperity in the society. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of male poets who wrote poems um, that praised sex workers that they they were in love with or or whatever, and there were artworks depicting um, sex workers soliciting customers on the street. Um, as sort of portraying the Tan dynasty to, do, to be this prosperous, um, wealthy, diverse society. Um, and that's very interesting to me as to why Thailand, which I perceive to be, um, like you said today, it's a little bit, uh, there are some similar cultural elements between Thailand and China, be- exactly because of this migration of Chinese workers to Thailand who settled there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think maybe sex work is still perceived to be a very, negative thing there and today in China it's also perceived to be this um quite negative thing so I wonder what the common thread is like what happened that caused or facilitated this change in attitude towards sex work Mm -hmm. I think um as you mentioned um the booming sex work could have been linked with prosperity of a certain society before 20th century that is absolutely possible because in some Southeast Asian countries, sex work was really common. Sex work among men were also common, you know, homosexual sex work, um, because the, the idea of sexuality was very fluid in certain regions of Southeast Asia. But we're talking about 20th century, and that's the period of modernization. The Thai royal family wanted to uphold this um, idea of Thai society, which is very international. They fit into the international standard, which is mostly set by the Western society. And um, there is a really interesting um, point of the 20th um, century history where um, the League of Justice, no, League of Nations, League of Nations um, had this international conference on um, they, they basically wanted to have nations, some regulations banning um, exploitation and sex work because they were concerned of Asian men stealing white women from Europe so that they can make white women sex slaves in Asian countries. So at the time... Uh. Abolishing sex work was um, a, a huge international agenda. So the international norm at the time was going against um, human trafficking, specifically for sexual reasons, because mm-hmm. um, from the mid 19th. Okay, this is the part from my paper. From the mid 19th century on, the hot potato in the international community was prostitution in Asia, as there was a growing concern over wicked Orientals, 
forcing Western women into sexual servitude or white slave trade. That's an actual thing. And they discussed about it um, in the uh, international uh, conferences held by the League of Nations. That's Hmm. that's the thing. That actually happened. Wait, what actually happened? The fact that they declared it the white slave trade or that there actually was a trafficking of white women into Southeast Asia? I think there were some cases. That's why they were so concerned about it. But maybe there were like some cases and they called that, they compare that to the slave trade. Yeah. And and the fact I, I just, that they are just, just mm. labeling these wicked orientals and yeah, I, I, might, I, I, I might sound I might sound like a dick, but this sounds very <laughs> agenda driven. And also okay. I feel like for you to call anything as a slave trade like for you to call that after the actual slave trade took place you have to quantify you literally have to provide actual i want physical numbers mm-hmm. on how many people you estimate to have been trafficked into a specific region and who's responsible because yeah. without that contextualization i am um very skeptical Definitely. And also, a little, um, it's, it's off-putting to call it the slave trade after the actual slave trade mm. took place. It kind of reminds me of this whole phenomenon where if a white woman is missing, you see it all over the news and you see yes, it everywhere. Exactly. It's like an international outcry. But then when people of color exactly. go missing, it's never the same exactly. case. Um, yep. Never the same international it, attention. Like mm-hmm. we can acknowledge that like it's it's abhorrent in general to force women into sex work regardless of their ethnicity and right. it's important for the cases where white women were trafficked into southeast asia we can acknowledge that this is morally abhorrent and wrong mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. still say mm-hmm. that you need to quantify the actual scale of this mm-hmm. network if you're going to call it the white slave trade mm-hmm. yep like that to me goes like I'm not saying that it goes a step further because I'm not aware of the actual scale of that operation. I'm saying that if you're going to call it the slave trade, I'm going to want physical numbers. I want actual estimates. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, just reading you the that specific part about these wicked Oriental in one of my source would be helpful. Yes, go Do ahead. I, okay. Okay. <laughs> Over the same period, prostitution in Asia became an issue as panic was whipped up about Western women being forced into sexual servitude by wicked Oriental traffickers in what was called the white slave trade. European governments held a number of conferences on human trafficking around the turn of the 20th century, which led first to the establishment of an international bureau for the suppression of traffic in women and children in 1899 and then the International Agreement for the Suppression of the White Slave slave Traffic in 1904. This treaty was followed in 1910 by a convention bearing the same name, whereby the participating European states made the procurement of women for prostitution a criminal offense, regardless of whether those women gave their consent. As Jeffrey highlights, these initiatives reflected the prevailing Western assumptions about correct gender roles and cast the prostitute as a victim. Thus, when the West sought to ensure the adherence of a non-Western countries to these and subsequent agreements, it was seeking not to impose a more equitable gender arrangement, but rather a gender code that reflected Western understandings of civilized gender roles. Hmm. That's the part. 
So yeah, more colonialism being put onto these people's uh, norms oh, yeah. and, and ideals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would like to also see a conference on the yellow fever where white men go to Southeast Asia and literally buy wives. Mm-hmm. I would also like to see a conference on that because I would like that phenomenon to be addressed as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would be I nice. totally agree. <laughs> Probably never going to happen in the near future, but we'll <laughs> see. Mm-hmm. No, I can already hear the outrage. I can already hear the outrage of people being like, oh, oh yeah. how dare you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in the interest of time, we don't want to keep Hyun for too much longer. So to wrap up, uh, Hyun, what was the most interesting thing you learned in doing this project? Um, the most interesting thing is actually that wicked oriental part. Yeah. I just <laughs> yeah, did not expect to see this coming. I didn't know <laughs> that it that kind of event happened and there were international conferences about white slave trade like what even is that i really i really hope that we're not just actually providing materials or ammunition for uh white supremacists right now who (laughs) may or may not happen to be listening to our podcast uh to get some help uh just if anyone's listening to to this podcast please do your own research and look more into it and think more independently uh we're not trying to bias you in one direction or another. Or if you feel like we are, still do your own research. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. when I read that part of the book, my first thought was, why is no one talking about this? Like, this is <laughs> so interesting. Why slave trade? Like, I, I've never heard of it. I've heard a lot about slave trades, but it was mostly just, you know, European men buying slaves or just trafficking. Yeah people from Africa and South America but that was about it not about why white slaves and especially the wicked oriental men just stealing women from Europe to make them sex slaves it's just it's the optics it's the optics of calling it calling anything really a slave trade the optics of that (laughs) is like you gotta know what you're talking about if you want to call anything the slave trade yeah 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 Mm -hmm. So um, what, what future directions would you want to see the discourse on sex work take? Um, I would like to see more research done on this kind of colonialism, but also the independent Vietnam and Thai government and their roles in the booming sex industry, because those are less highlighted. People are more interested in the colonizer's perspective on their impact of the booming sex industry. But from my research, I noticed that the each individual government also played a huge role in as a host of those Absolutely. export industry. But 100%. they don't really acknowledge that, you know, for understandable reasons from their perspective, of course. But um that should, I believe, be more highlighted and should be explored more. Absolutely. Well, this was a really interesting talk. And if you're listening and if you're interested, we will include a list of recommended books and sources that he referenced in her project. Um, so if you want to check anything out independently, feel free to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if you have any comments and suggestions, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. 
leave us a comment, whatever. Yeah, thank you so much for being part of this today and have a good rest of your day or night. Thank you. So much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.